Introducing the Two-Way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the Two-Way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the Two-Way for yourself at NewBalance.com. Welcome to On the Bench. Our Camp Memory Series continues. I am Brendan Sinone. Today, we will be talking about the golden ages of the Jimbo Fisher camps. Uh, first, I want to thank Daniel Garland of Evershore Financial Group for sponsoring this series. We'll get into how this knoll can help you and how you can support someone supporting our quirky podcast. But for now, uh, thank you to Daniel and Evershore Financial. So the, the last time on this series, our first episode, Josh Newberg was joined by Charles Fishbein and McKinley Roll to go over the origins of the Jimbo Fisher camp and the Seminole Showcase. And this really laid the foundation for the 2013 national title team as, uh, as players like Rashad Green and Terrence Brooks were some of the early, uh, some of the guys at the early camps when Jimbo first arrived. Uh, as Jimbo actually took over as the head coach, the program went away from the Seminole Showcase format when he really took over and, and, they went to the uh, the Jimbo Fisher camp, which is more about evaluations. And that's where episode two of the Camp Memory series takes over. Uh, we're going to get into some of the crazy names that made it to the, these Jimbo Fisher camps and, and really help Jimbo start getting momentum. Some of the names and stories we're going to discuss today are going to be featured uh, or be other, some of the players who are featured on the national championship team. Others were misses. And, and that's kind of what makes this intriguing. This whole camp dynamic is is you have some really funny stories that that emerge here. So uh, whether a player commits or doesn't commit to FSU, this episode is going to set the scene on what these camps were like in their heyday. Without further delay, I'm going to step back. I'm going to let Josh Newberg get in the mix here so he can introduce his co-host for the day. Joshua, good morning, sir, and uh, go ahead and take over for me. Uh, good morning. Thank you, Brandon. Um, today, we have Knowles 24-7's Chris Nee sitting in on this one. Uh, we're going to discuss the Jimbo Fisher camp from about – 2010 to 2013 during this time chris was working as a i believe a regional scout for rivals after leaving war chant earlier in 2010 but regardless chris was in tallahassee he was on the field during this first jimbo fisher camp um so i want to bring him in also we have with us a very special guest um the second writer on Knowles 24-7, uh, Corey Dower. Dower joins the show. He was an intern with Warchant in 2010 um, and made the slide over to Knowles 24-7. Corey, when exactly was it? Yeah, so it would have been, um, I think, the beginning, maybe January 2011. Uh, yeah, I think I actually went down to Tampa as the Rivals publisher for the USF site for about six months. Yeah, and then we got you back up to Tallahassee, and the first camp that you and I covered together working at Knowles 24-7 would be the 2011 camp. Um, yep. And then you stayed on the site for about a year and then left for ESPN, made a swing at, um, what, doing the team site network thing for about, and you did that for about a year and a half? Uh, yeah, a year and a half um, before they scrapped that thing and then... Um... Yeah, so we were heavily involved in camps and all that, and then you know personally, I I left the industry. Um, right. So that, yeah. 
so we'll spend this episode in talking with you guys um, going back to 2010. Uh, I was not at that camp. Knowles 24-7 hadn't launched yet, but both of you were uh, working in a different capacity. So, so some of those memories um, of the Jimbo Fisher camp, I want to talk about with Corey, though. When we go back to 2011, we, we were kind of just figuring it all out at the time. Um, what camp was going to be because the camp in 2010 was just um, just in June. It was just one camp. And now Jimbo Fisher had made the switch to these three-day camps in June, uh, three-day camps in July. Very intense. Uh, we spent a lot of hours on the football field, but probably even more hours in your apartment afterward <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> working. And we kind of came up with a formula, right? Like war yep. chant. Um, is was the monster, the beast that we were going up against. And we're just this little blog site that, you know, is coming out of nowhere, which is you and I. So um, our thing was speed, right? Like yep, we yep. were going to get, the, we went over to your apartment, which was right there off Pensacola. What was it called? They I don't even remember. Yeah, it's not it, even there anymore. Yeah, it no longer exists. It's been yeah. torn down and replaced by something bigger, taller, and prettier. And what was our strategy? I would come home and write the recruiting scoop while you worked on the photos or we would yeah. do the evals. <clears throat> yeah. So we, we had um, a photographer, Travis Register, I believe mm-hmm. that helps you guys out all the time, um, but he was doing all kinds of stuff. Um, the bigger, um, for more far reaching photo galleries. And I wanted to make sure we had pictures for stories. So mm-hmm. like if you were going to post your camp observations. I wanted to make sure I had a front page picture of whatever was relevant for that day. Um, so I would hurry and get those done. Um, and then you would crank out observations. And then, um, if I had time, I would start on like an interview story. So we tried to get like three items up prior to the next session. Um, yeah, it was, that was wild, man. (laughs) And Chris, you were out there, um, in your role with rivals as a, as a, um, regional guy, but the Jimbo Fisher camps were great because Fisher would kind of give us free reign to, to just do whatever we wanted. Like we would have guys, Barton Simmons, a national guy, Jerry Hamilton, a national guy for 24 seven at the time, they would all come in and take advantage of the openness that Fisher Fisher allowed. That was great. Yeah. It was also great because beyond the top tier upperclassmen that they would get in, they would get a lot of young kids too. Mm -hmm. And they would have schools that, you know, produce multiple kids every year, no matter what, bring whole groups up, you know, the, some of the Miami schools when they would stay in the dorms would bring 12 to 30 kids at any given camp. So the ability to find younger kids, which is what a big part of that job for me back then was, you know, if, if we were there in a the 2010 class, I was looking at kids that were going to be 11, 12, 13 without a doubt. So it was great for that. But they also, I mean, hell the talent that he brought in for that graduating class was unbelievable. So it was great. The ability to kind of walk around. It was kind of nice because you could always talk to a position coach or the person that assisted that position within the staff as you were watching a group and kind of just pick their brains on kids, whether it was a guy you knew of walking through the door or the guy you had no clue of until he walked through the door. Yeah, <laughs> it was it was a. It was an eye-opening experience being there and just seeing all the talent, not only the, the kids that were – it was their year to be recruited, but the, but the younger kids. Um, we're going to focus this episode on some of these big-time arrivals. And when I thought about having Corey Dower on and me and Brendan were just pitching this idea around, the first thing I thought of was Mario Edwards Jr. Um, 
He was the number one player in the nation. He was the number one defensive tackle in America. He was the number one player in Texas. Uh, at the time, Mario Edwards was at, in at Ryan High School, I believe it was, in Denton, Texas. Mm-hmm. And he committed to FSU back in March. Um, he was a big-time commitment, got the ball rolling for Jimbo Fisher uh, back in this 2012 class. And then he arrives on campus. Um, Corey. We met them outside the facility. It was Mario Edwards Jr. and his dad. They go in the facility, and then they come out onto the field at Dope Campbell Stadium. What do you remember from there? Yeah, so I think it was, I think it was maybe the last session. I remember it being like evening, sort mm-hmm. of, and things were winding down. And um, we actually walked into the stadium, the same entrance that the team um, goes onto the field on game days, just under that tunnel there. And and we were sitting there chit chatting. I I think both Mario and his dad were, were out there and, and we'd heard stories about his athleticism and heard that he could do a backflip on the spot. So I can't remember if it was you or I, or how, how it specifically got started, but we, I think we asked him or, or dared him to, to yeah. can you actually do this. Um, and he was up for it. So I backed way up with my camera and I just kept Meanwhile, shooting. What was he wearing? We all remember. Yeah. Actually so what it, was, he was it was just a shirt. Um, I think it was like a gray shirt and maybe some blue shorts. And, and I think you said it was like white polo shoes or yeah, he was wearing like something. a blue shirt with like khaki shorts. You know, they weren't, they weren't yeah. athletic shorts by any means. No. Um, and then he had like these, you know, polo kind of like boat shoes on. Yeah. And he did not look like at six foot four, 285 pounds that he was going to be able to do a standing backflip just on the spot. He didn't even stretch. Like he didn't even bend over, touch his toes or anything. Nope. And, and even like his body type wasn't like, he, he wasn't exactly lean. Right. So right. he, he's just, um, really, really gifted. And and so, yeah, he, I back up with my camera and, and I just start shooting as he's doing this backflip and I got it like frame by frame as he does it. And we ended up posting a photo gallery later that evening. Actually, I think we went straight back to the apartment. I got to get this up. Cause it's going to get, get eyeballs. And, yeah. That was um, our thing. We wanted to kind of, kind of bring people to these camps and do things beyond just like, um, the video interviews and the, and, and, and all that sort of stuff. So that was fun. And we got that. I'll never forget. You got the one photo of him and he's like mid backflip and his head is facing the ground and his feet are up in the air. And he, you know, he's six foot four, 285 pounds. The funny thing about the funny thing about Mario doing that, showing off athleticism is you fast forward down the road a couple of years, he's on the roster, South Missouri's coaching him, and we're at another camp and they're trying to demonstrate a defensive lineman how to go through multiple bags while weaving. Do you remember this, Josh? I believe you were there with me. I don't know if Corey was, but I think yeah. Josh was. And Mario does that, and it's almost like a 300-pound dude levitating in the air as he punches a bag, switching side to side. And you just realize that dude's wired different than any other big man that we've really ever dealt with. Like we've seen monsters, you know, Eddie Goldman comes to mind immediately, Timmy Jernigan, but Mario was a freaky athlete and a huge body. He's the highest signing of the Jimbo Fisher era. Yeah. Yeah. yeah rank, ranking wise, composite. Ranking wise. Yeah. That number one, um, another important recruitment, and I wanted to save this for Chris because I wasn't even there. And we're going to go back to the Devonte Freeman arrival <clears throat> And FSU fans. know Devonte Freeman played an integral part in the national championship, but Jimbo 
getting him committed and just getting him, you know, the running back position at FSU went from 1996 to 2012 without a thousand yard rusher. Devontae Freeman comes to that 2010 summer camp that I wasn't at. Uh, Chris, do you remember his arrival and, and kind of like the buzz around Freeman arriving? Well, his arrival was largely inconsequential. Inconsequential. It was more about the other guys in the van with him. The thing that Jimbo and his staff did so well was they would get multiple kids up. You know, they there were two to three kids. Maybe they really wanted to see out of school, but because relationships had been built with coaches at those schools, and you know, Miami coach Coley did a great job down there. So there were a lot of kids that they knew of that were young kids. So they would get them to come in. So they asked for Miami to bring Miami Central to bring some kids up. So those kids were Jeff Godfrey went on to play at UCF quarterback. Joshua Reese, wide receiver, also believe he went on to play at UCF if memory serves me correct. Brendan Brendan, the UCF lover, can correct me if I'm. He did. He had a key touchdown against Louisville on national TV the night before FSU demolished Clemson in Death Valley. There you go. And then Brandon Gaynor was the prized running back on that mm-hmm. roster. He ended up going to Kentucky, if memory serves me right. So Gaynor shows up. He's a guy that Eddie Grand really wants to work with. They want to get in. Well, another kid pops out of the van, and I believe the van was driven by Telly Lockett. My memory's not great, but I believe that was the case because back then Telly was obviously tied into the high school ranks. Uh, Brandon Gaynor gets there, and the other guy is Devontae. So they go out on the field, and they're working with Eddie. And hell, I think it was like 30 minutes into it. They knew Devontae was the dude. Like they they knew that kid was special. And they had beyond Gainer, they had multiple backs in that group who were high level D1 recruits already. And then you got a guy like Devontae Freeman, who was essentially the backup on that roster, had been productive, but wasn't thought of as a national recruit yet at that stage. And uh, I mean, the story turned into oh, Jimbo found this kid unranked and he was special and, you know, got him. The truth is he just beat everybody to the punch, and that's because of relationships. That's still a credit to Jimbo Fisher and his staff for getting him in there. But, I mean, he camped at uh, FSU, I think it was June 2010, earned the offer, committed real soon after that. I think maybe two days later. Couple, two days later, yeah. Yep. So they were in there. They got him early, and then he blew up. He was unbelievable in high school from that point forward when he became the man in addition to Gainer and then the man by himself. And it wasn't surprising if you saw him at that camp, but it was very funny. He was just the other dude out of the van with three guys who were kind of the, you know, from a recruiting coverage perspective were the guys we were there to see. And then here's this other guy who turns into one of the better players of the Jimbo Fisher era. Remember mm-hmm. specifically, I think it was like the day after FSU offered him, Georgia came in like yeah. just immediately. Yeah. Um, it, it was a firework when it went off. It wasn't like a slow burn of, Oh, it was yep. like, Oh, Eddie Graham likes this kid. FSU yep. likes this kid. Jimbo Fisher likes this kid. He's at Miami central. He's at Miami central. Back. Right. Like everything got checked immediately. And here we go. We're off. Yep. That's yeah. right. I remember being at the state championship game <laughs> and watching, I think back then the coaches were allowed on the field at the end of the game. And I was down on the field watching the final minutes standing next to Eddie Graham and that game was so foggy. Like, yeah, that was a Dr. Phillips game. And you couldn't see the center of the field. Yeah, that was a Dr. Phillips game. They Because DP had, I, I want to say they had, what, HaHa was on that roster? Yep, yep. yeah, he was on um, there. The Cheshire Cat was the running back. What was his name? Short, 
Yeah, the Nick yeah, Patty was the quarterback. He went to. Uh, you're, 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 playing a, all, you're playing all my notes right now, Nee. I'm as a Dr. Phillips <laughs> alum and UCF alum. You're just this is perfect for this like Slumdog Millionaire, and I'm not any part of this podcast. I don't you remember. Suck. He read it right back in. I think that DP Central game had like 24 D1 commitments in it. Like they were already committed in that game. Dr. Phillips had that middle linebacker kid. I think he went maybe like Utah or B1 Lorenzo U. Phillips. No, he was wait. Laquinton no, Smith was, went to Pittsburgh. LaQuinton Smith, and then there was another one. Roderick uh, Riles was the safety. He was a junior, and he would. I remember he went somewhere out west. I want to say like BYU or Utah or something. Mm-hmm. That's oh, one Philip Amone. Philip Amone. Uh, yeah, yeah, yep. that's it. Yeah. That was one of the better high school championship games I ever went to. Both teams were mm-hmm. damn good. The fog was nuts. I've been to a bunch of events in that stadium, all times of day and night including a lot of football games. And I'd never seen fog roll in like that. You couldn't see the field from the box No, by the end of the game. I mean, I was on the, on the field on the sideline and you couldn't see the 50 yard line. Like you couldn't see out to the 50. So it it was crazy. Um, Want to bring it back to 2010 as well. And this is a story of when Jimbo Fisher went into Alabama the first time to find a quarterback. Uh, at Florida State, and that was Jacob Coker. And Corey, I wasn't there, but we found this. Uh, this was a dour observation. Quote, Coker made all the throws, showed good footwork and athleticism, and impressed with his knowledge of the game. Um, he ended up being offered at that camp. And I be- I don't know if he committed at the camp or or soon after, but this was kind of Jimbo Fisher's first foray into Alabama. And it also signified, it showed us that Jimbo wasn't afraid. Jacob Coker came in kind of unknown, relatively unknown, and um, came in, got that offer, and they accepted his commitment. Um, Corey, do you remember seeing Coker at that first camp? I do. And I think Chris was there as well. Um, but I remember, I think he came in as a Duke commit. Um or at least Cutcliffe had offered him. So he had, he had something about him, um, you know, with, with Cutcliffe's reputation of, of developing quarterbacks or having an eye for them at least. And, and remember they were watching him and, and, you know, he, he ticked a lot of boxes. He was big, strong kid, good arm. He played in a wing T system. So he didn't have a lot of film or notoriety as a passer. Um, But yeah, he started trying out and I, and you could see, um, I was listening to your, your previous episode and, and how uh, Fish was talking about how the coaches would kind of converge on a kid that they might like at camp. And you started seeing that a little bit. And, and I remember Chris was like, uh, let's keep an eye on this one. And then <laughs> it was it was hours after after, you know, that performance that he had an offer and even. I can't remember if it was an instant commitment or what, but it was um, just about um, anyway. But, yeah, he he looked like a million bucks out there. And, and that was kind of maybe this, the beginning of, of kind of that um, Jimbo was known for having quarterbacks come to his camps, throw and earn their place on the offer uh, or on the, on the roster. Um, and, and I think he sort of got that um, reputation started. Um, I, the final thing on the Jimbo part of that, I always remember hearing that Jimbo, they would have the throws and then they would go and either that evening or the next morning, talk about the previous that day of camp or the previous day of camp. And Jimbo would literally like bang on the table. If he loved a quarterback, like that was his guy. That was the one position he consistently always did that for. And he did it mm-hmm. his whole time there. 
Coker, the whole story with Coker is interesting. Damian Craig is the one who really fought to get him to FSU for that camp. He really pushed for it. I think Craig had a relationship with David Morris. David Morris, for those who don't know, former Ole Miss quarterback. I don't know if he's still doing it these days, but back then he trained quarterbacks mostly in the Mobile area. I think A.J. McCarron was one of his. Coker was another of his. He did Coker wonders because Coker played a heavy wing T offense in high school. So they essentially put him through pro day, created video of him, sent it off. And then Coker went to Duke for camp right before FSU got offered, went to FSU for camp, got offered. I can't remember if he had committed to Duke or just was on the verge of doing so. That's a bit cloudy in my mind, but I remember the FSU offer comes about and people are like, you know, based on what outside of that day of camp, what was that camp in the pro day video? Cause it's high school film other than some athleticism doesn't show a whole lot of throwing, but they loved him at camp. He could rip it. I mean, Coker could really push it down the field, could really rip it. Coker's the kind of guy that probably would have started at FSU if someone like Jameis Winston never walked through the door. He was certainly capable of it. He went to Alabama and was perfectly fine there and did a good job on the back end of his career. But it is funny. And talking about the coach is kind of hovering. Like I remember Craig's initially working and watching Coker, and then you slowly see Jimbo's golf cart roll over there, and he's watching right. some of the other assistants, and they're talking to him and his family afterwards. It is kind of always funny. Like if you see two to three coaches making contact with a single kid, you just kind of know something's going down. Something. Yeah. Another key piece of the 2013 national championship showed up at that 2010 camp and picked up an offer from Florida state. And that was Ocala Vanguard. Well, at the time he was an athlete, he was a super athlete, PJ Williams. Um, he ends up going on to play cornerback for Florida state. He definitely was a corner. I, I believe he, we had him listed as a corner, but I used to go to his games. He played wide receiver. He did punt return. Uh, he did it all. Do you remember PJ at that camp? I, I remember PJ from the USF camp. It was okay. the day after he committed to Florida state. And yeah. He, he showed said, up down. Was it sling and shoot? Sling and shoot. Yep. Yeah. The head coach at USF wasn't there, but PJ was, um, another story <laughs> for another time, but is that the, um, Al- that's the Alex Collins year, isn't it? Is that when Alex and John Franklin showed up and Skip was nowhere to be found? Yeah, yeah, yeah. it would have been. Uh, I think I think you might have introduced me to Nelson Aguilar at that camp, Josh. I'm not sure. I can't remember, but it was something like that. But anyway, I remember watching him, and he he it was a back shoulder throw, and he just hung in the air for seemingly like minutes and picked it off. And I remember I remember sending a message to um, a certain uh, four state staff. Um, defensive backs coach at afterwards and just was like, Holy cow, you got one here. And, and, and he was, he just impressed. Yeah. Big time at that camp. Yeah. It was, it was really something. Mark Stoops was funny with his DBs at camp. If they were doing like seven on, he would stand at like the center field position and literally have conversations with them as plays and things were going on and like ask them, what are you processing? What are you doing? Man, I really enjoyed how you turn there, how you burn, how you pressed, you know, whatever. It was constant. It was like a constant conversation going on within the actual drill. And you knew it was one of those kind of cues with him where he knew, you knew listening to him that a certain guy just did it for him. And PJ was certainly one of those guys. Terrence Brooks is another guy that comes to mind that he was that way with where the communication made it clear how highly he thought of the kid as a player. But yeah, PJ was a badass. He was out of what Vanguard in Oklahoma. Vanguard. Yeah. And FSU was on him real early. Yep. Uh, and because of the camp, like that was a, mm-hmm. 
an instance of where that camp really paid off. The whole, the whole joke, the whole joke of calling FSU free scouting you was very true yep. in those early days. It was. They were phenomenal at it. They their ability to identify a kid who they thought could turn into a big time prospect or in the early days, they nailed it. Now it got away from them. I would say 2014 is probably the first signs of where there were some they thought were going to turn into really good things, and they just never ever did in their time at FSU. But in those early days, 10, 11, even before 10, when they had a little bit of fingerprints on the program, but 10, 11, 12, I mean, it's why they won the championship in 13 is they found guys who are no doubt national types like the Mario Edwards juniors of the world, but they also found other guys who they beat everybody to the punch for. Eddie Goldman was one of those guys. Um, Eddie Goldman ended up being the number one defensive tackle in America, but I remember Odell was on him, you know, two years before his before everybody else. And it was just the formula that they had. They weren't identifying diamonds in the rough. I mean, they were good at identifying like the top players in the country. And they, they didn't waste time on latching on the kids, Like right. they weren't one of these where, Oh, well, we like five DTs. No, they love that man child, Eddie Goldman. And they were going to go after him. And, you know, then they have a guy like a Timmy Jernigan to compliment him that they love. That was local. That's a whole nother recruiting story. We'll get into but that, that's kind of how they were. They like they they always knew who Plan B was, but they didn't want to recruit Plan B unless they had to. They mm-hmm. were they were rabid dogs when it came to Plan A, and they were very good at identifying those guys early, believing in their identification of them and their belief in their ability, and then you know not letting go. And it's why they won so many. Mm-hmm. But to be fair, it wasn't always positive for FSU. No, no, never is. Sometimes things didn't work out. So just sticking to 2011, um, I wrote this. Stefan Diggs was not in attendance. He ended up going to Auburn for the weekend and leaving the FSU coaches scratching their heads. I'm told there was no call from Diggs to say he wasn't coming. I know FSU is still going to pursue him, but I feel this one is over for the Knowles. Boy, Dossie was pissed when Diggs stuck <laughs> him up with the no call, no show. <laughs> I mean, and and uh, this just goes back to like what Chris was saying, how hard they worked. Well, they would work hard on all these kids, like not just the ones that didn't make it. So when you had a guy like a Stefan Diggs, no call, no show, I mean, you got to realize like Dossie probably spent weeks securing this kid's travel plans and talking to mom and making sure he's coming. And then all of a sudden he shows up at Auburn, you know, so it wasn't always pretty. Um, I got to see Stefan Diggs at Friday night lights at the end of July in 2011 at UF. That was Friday, Friday, early days of Friday night lights. I mean, Showtime very much was kind of birthed from that whole idea. And Friday night lights obviously made its way around a lot of college campuses but the early days of FNL and Gainesville were unbelievable. I mean, they were a cattle call. They were great. They became overcrowded over time and not near as good. There weren't as many reps to go around. My take on that is social media. When oh, no Friday doubt. Night Lights was popping off, it was invite only, and it was yeah. literally the kids you invited were the kids that showed up. Yeah, and the NCAA rules say they can't really truly deny any kids deny from coming, it, but, but they would do their best it. to make sure that only yeah. select kids knew about it, and that went away over time. Mm-hmm. But my fond memories of Diggs, one, he dominated the hell out of Friday Night Lights that July night. He was unbelievable. He was wearing, like, electric green tights, and he just flew around that field. You knew where the hell he was at all times, and he was unbelievable. 
but he also flew away from the media when he came out of that stadium running down the street to get into a car and leave and watching him dust fat white guys in the media, such as myself is a fond memory of mine. Still nine years later, he was unbelievable. I th- I remember him talking. I think Higdon got him that evening. I can't remember if he got him before or after. I think it was after. But I know we had a heck of a lot of trouble tracking him down. And he's a guy everybody wanted to talk to. I mean, he was a national kid out of Maryland. He went to what? Uh, Oni. He was from Oni, Maryland. Mm-hmm. Memory he was going to be the next Percy Harvey. Yeah, I think Good Counsel was the high school. Chris, um, real, real quick, some producing. You actually chased after him? Like ran? Did I, you, did I began. You, did you I, no, I didn't ground? run. Come on, I, I began <laughs> to walk very briskly, and then realized, yeah, no, it's not happening. Good luck. I don't cover UF. You have a good day now. I cover the state of Florida, and that kid's from Maryland. Like the effort level, <laughs> right. the effort level completely went away very quickly. But there were people that made an effort. I mean, it was kind of like uh, FSU media chasing down ads in the parking lot after they dismissed legendary coaches. <laughs> Um, that one's for Corey. Cause I believe he was there that day. Oh yeah. Um, but it, there was Carter that made that effort uh, yeah, in Carter. the elevator. We've never talked about that on the podcast. Let's, let's deviate for a second there. Uh, <laughs> I know this isn't a recruiting topic, but it's a great story. And I've heard it enough yeah. from enough people to where I think we need to, uh, discuss that. Previous Bowden gets dismissed officially. Like it becomes known that's happening. They run, Ponder and Dakota, right? Christian Ponder and Dakota yep. Watson in front of yep. us to talk about it. Awkward as hell. Um, they, they're were, like, they just found out. I remember yeah. because a player on the team, I was like, you need to text me like a number if, if he's actually getting dismissed when it happens. And it did. So like, and it was five minutes later and they were in front of the podium. It was the yeah. most and impossible position for them. Watson was all emotions. Like he, he's a great dude. He's one of the nicer guys I ever covered, but he's an emotional being. He lives off of emotions. Highs are highs, lows are lows. And that's how he is. And he's just not processing it very well. Like he's not handling it. Well on that stage, you can tell he's uncomfortable. And then Christian's very much the politician of the two of them. And he's trying to do his best, but he's also a legacy, you know, grown up with FSU kind of being part of him. Bobby's all of that history for him. So it's obviously not easy. And it's BS that that's who they run in front of us to kind of deal with this. Meanwhile, those who made the decisions are getting in there. I think it was a Subaru Outback, if memory serves me right, in the parking lot and trying to speed away. And Andrew Carter, who at the time was at the Orlando Sentinel, paved the way for such grades as Brendan Sinone. He uh, he decided one he what he chased him to the elevator right yeah so so he was going to the elevator there in the moor and it was like a movie scene you know where Spetman goes in the elevator and if you were looking from his perspective it would be like a hand coming in before the doors close right you've never seen a man try to hit a button faster to get and the doors he's closed. like trying to get away from Andrew and he's trying to get any kind of comment from anyone that ought to be commenting. And he did it. And he just, uh, he, he went upstairs and that was the last we saw of Spetman for what, 24 hours before they yeah. even, then there was a chasing. car chase in the parking lot where on foot, somebody was chasing his car, trying to get comment as he was leaving. Yeah. I was can't Bob remember. Thomas trying I was to trying to remember. I, think- I feel, I feel like Bob or D'Angelo, one of our older buddies oh, yeah. from the beat from back in the day. I feel like one of those two was out there, but I can't remember, but I know Andrew Carter was like the centerpiece. of the I think fun it was Tom because it. I heard it from Tom. Didn't Andrew Carter, okay. did I miss it? Did he, did you say what he yelled at Spetman? Uh, no. He goes, uh, he goes, I don't want to misquote him. Uh, uh, paraphrasing, I'm pretty sure this is what he said. I obviously wasn't there. As the elevator closed, he goes, great leadership, and the elevator door closes. That rings a bell. Yeah, I think that's probably right. 
Yeah. yeah. And I remember he he came back into the, the press room all disheveled from <laughs> from chasing Spetman an adult down the hallway <laughs> trying to get some kind of comment from somebody that ought to be giving it. And it was just, just a clown show. Yeah, it was, but Stefan Diggs chase was similar except for Stefan Diggs really fast. It's, Stefan Diggs was basically as fast as a Subaru Outback. Sorry, Josh. Maybe right. faster. This, this was poor producing actually, probably back oh. on track to 2011. Um, Brendan pulled this, but, Vernon Hargraves camped at Florida state in 2011. And he was probably a sophomore, maybe heading into his junior year. Um, and he had, you know, I wrote a recruiting scoop saying FSU was at the top of his list and he was going to about to take some visits. Um, Brendan was kind of jabbing me, you know, for, for, for saying that, but I thought back on it and, you know, Vernon really liked Florida state a lot. And, a lot of that had to do with his tie to Mark Stoops, Mark and Vernon Hargraves, the, the second coach together with the Miami hurricanes while Vernon Hargraves, the third was kind of running around the hallways as like a seven, eight year old kid back then. So <clears throat> Florida state did a weird thing in the Tampa Bay area during kind of in that early time, they didn't give Dossie a lot of help. They didn't focus on the Tampa Bay area a lot. So what happened with the Vernon Hargraves recruitment from that point was Dossie recruited him and he recruited him pretty hard, but not as hard as UF. I mean, they had Will Muschamp on him. Uh, Dan Quinn, the DC at the time was heavily involved personally with his recruitment. And I'm not sure that Stoops liked Vernon Hargraves all that much. I think they were going for more size. Um, so that one kind of slipped away, but there was other talent at the 2011 camp as well. Um, one of the names that really stuck out when we brought Corey on was Amari Cooper. And you, the first thing you said was the Amari Cooper show. Yep. Yep. I, I went remember. to a lot of places and put on shows, but uh, <laughs> what do you remember of Amari Cooper from that camp? I remember mostly you uh, because I think I was shooting somebody else. Um, I was going around getting pictures for the, for the day. And, and I think you, you were like, you got to come watch this. And I don't think he worked out very much, but he was uh, in seven on sevens and, and there were really good players out there. And it wasn't he different level. Just Man, he, simply just different. So level. Smooth. Yep. He, wow. he made a cut on a route and the DB was, gone who wasn't even in the picture anymore it was just it was he was truly elite um and and i and i know fsu was really they were really after him hard and they they thought they had chance there at the end mm-hmm. um but i think i think that recruitment if i remember correctly sort of deteriorated in like january and it started trending heavily in in yeah, Alabama, Alabama started favorite. doing that a lot with South Florida kids. <laughs> yeah. uh, Eddie yeah. Jackson, I think, was the next one that Florida yep. State felt really good about down Eddie. in Miami that Alabama Eddie. comes in in January and kind of takes away. Yep, wasn't uh, a Eddie was a fishbine find, wasn't he? Or at least Fish is the one that pushed his film, and yeah, because he kind of came out of nowhere, exploded. A uh, few schools, including FSU, felt like they were really in it, and then Bama came and it was like done. So mm-hmm. Fish and I watched him play in Tampa against Plant. Because he was hurt the year before. Is that what kept him under wraps? I think so. Jackson, yeah, he played for some reason. I I think so. And he returned two kicks for touchdowns in the same game, and it was just like, this guy's Mm -hmm. different. Yeah, It's funny. If you type a Murray Cooper Florida State camp in a Google first headline, I believe a Corey Long headline or Corey Long article, 
from July 21st, 2011. Amari Cooper's making a name for himself in the legend of Sony Michelle Groves at Florida State's camp. Yep. Sony was there. I mean, there was big time guys and he, it was Amari Cooper was, was the top performance of that yeah. day. So yeah. Fine, funny thing with Sony is I remember being told of Sony, I think as a seventh grader and you get told of a kid as a seventh grader and you're just like, no, I don't, I don't need to hear that. And then you watch him and he was special. And like the fact he's in the NFL being successful is no shock based on what you learned about him before he was even in high school. He lived up to that. Calvin Taylor was the next one. And that didn't exactly work out the same way. I mean, not that he had a bad career, but it just, he wasn't, you know, an NFL. He had the benefit of the bloodlines and Mm -hmm. that sometimes will hype a kid up just naturally. But he had those big eighth grade numbers at the varsity level. Dante Fowler was also there. So in the, in the workout lines, you had Mario Edwards Jr. working out. You also had Dante Fowler working out. Um, Dante was probably a sophomore junior as well. Um, and I remember he he went down and, and recorded a four five forty. Um, FSU coaches were big on forty times. They would the FSU coaches themselves would be the ones hand timing these forties. Um, and they they were, were they ran them at the end of camp too. Yes, to see how kids handled being tired. That was um, one of Jimbo's things is we're, we're going to run forties after you work out for two and a half hours in 94 degree heat. And we're going to see what you run. And Dante Fowler ran a four five forty. <laughs> uh, Mario Pender was there. Chris Kasher was there. Alphonse Taylor was there. Was Alphonse Taylor. Who remembers Alphonse Taylor? First of all, I do. I remember <laughs> Mr. Taylor. Alphonse Taylor was a big athletic body out of Alabama that was committed to FSU as what a defensive tackle or offense. I think they would take him either way at that point. I think think they were recruiting him as an offensive tackle and Bama told him they would play him on defensive line, but he ended up playing offensive line at Bama anyway. I think that was it. Yeah. I think he, I think he definitely had a preference. I think that might've been what won out, but I remember Remember getting his commitment story when he was in class. He was texting me. That's probably not a great thing. But anyway, um, he uh, he yeah he and then then he started he started going a little a little sideways and mm-hmm. not really talking as much and and then eventually ended up you know playing over in Alabama. But uh, I remember him at camp. He was just just the biggest human so being. <laughs> it, it wasn't it wasn't a great big either. Like it, there was there was some work to be done, and um, but but he had you know a little different, but kind of the same vein as as Murray Edwards. Is you could you could still see the athleticism, and it was definitely a guy you would rather have than not. So um, yeah, that was that was a fun one. Yeah. Who's the who's the largest person you ever saw at camp? Like just, just not necessarily the movement or the athleticism, just, man, that dude's huge. Well, I remember there was a, a guy from one of the Miami high schools, big offensive line, must've been 400 pounds. They didn't have oh. a Jersey that would fit on his, on his shoulder pads. So he had to wear a t-shirt over it. And he oh. was probably like six, eight. He was humongous. Is that the kid who was thought of very highly as a junior? And then his weight just got so bad that he kind yeah. of played himself out of being a D one kid. He never was able to. He was at the Miami Nike, and I remember that. But I can't was he from Central? Name. I can't remember. He's from down that way, but I don't remember school. The one that comes to mind for me was a Louisiana boy. I think he went to LSU. I think he left LSU and maybe went to like a Nichols or something like that. Chris Davenport. Yep. That that was probably, I don't know, probably 2012-ish, 2011-ish, somewhere in there. But he showed up, and I thought he was a kid's dad. 
one, he looked old, and two, he was enormous. He was a big old dude. I think his college measurements were like 6'4", 318. He looked like a 350-pound dude, and he looked like a 40-year-old man. And I just – he always stuck with me after that. I don't even know if he worked out. I can't remember. But I do remember him showing up and being like, who are you? Who's your son? <laughs> and then learning, <laughs> I am the son. But, yeah. What, how did Alphonse do at Bama? I was trying to – when you were talking about him, I was trying to call – did he end up finding success there? Yeah, he played. I remember he played at Bama. You know, he probably won a national championship or two. I'm going to go out on sure. a limb. <laughs> sure. <laughs> if he was there for three or four years, he probably won a couple titles. I, I know that he saw a significant playing time. Yeah. Um, on offensive line, I'm pretty sure. And I think that yeah. was the reason he flipped to Alabama, you know, which is kind of ironic. All right. Let's leave 2011 behind and go to 2012. This is where free scouting university strikes again. Florida state identifies an athletic running back named Alex Collins. And Alex Collins wasn't doing the traditional camp workout when they found him. Was he Chris? No ball. You guys, uh, Corey, do you remember no ball? That's oh, yeah. a blast from the past, right? Yeah. Well, it was just, a, it was just a time when, uh, everyone kind of let their guard down a little bit. You know, it's kind of so high stakes. Let's reset it. So if 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 the camp ended at um, five o'clock, usually, right? The second session ended at five p.m. They'd go on break. They'd have dinner, and then they'd come back out on the field again at like seven thirty. And really, this was just a chance for for the coaches to wear the kids out before they put them in the dorm room for the night. Yep. And they would play this game called no ball. I can't even describe. Can you guys help me out? Sideline like a- to sideline. <laughs> Ball can go laterally, backwards. It's like eight I think on eight, ten on ten, right? You can throw it deep one time, and it's like basically a, a odd game of five hundred being played or rugby. It's, and it's with like it, ultimate it, frisbee or something, and it's yeah. two man t- two hand touch. Um, if you got a guy who is fast or quick and can jump, they're awesome out. at that game because the ability again the small spaces get the ball, create with the ball or create for somebody else to free him up and get him the ball was kind of the key to it all, but it's wild. And the yeah. best part of it for us was it's the best place to talk to the coach. Is there kind of yeah. processing what happened during that day? The sun's going there, down, the heat's the going, going away. Yeah. Some of the kids show back up just to hang out and talk to the coaches or some kids arrive for the next day that evening and talk to the coaches. So it's kind of a, a turnstile in the sense of coming and goings of one day campers. And it's just a information processing. But once in a blue moon watching Noel a guy jumps out at you. Alex Collins is at Carlos Williams as a youngster came out there and hung out one time and played. And I remember him. I think he's like an eighth grade or seventh grade. He's really young. Scooter Hagens is another one that comes to mm-hmm. mind. Jared Hagens was young, came out and did it. He stood out. Uh, there were a few guys over the years. It's one of those things that not a ton of top tier kids will play. It's a lot of the multi-day, three-day campers, the money makers for the camp. They're kind of doing it, but once in a while, one would, and Alex Collins is that. And I'll hand the baton off at that. 2012 also featured five-star wide receiver, Erman Lane. He worked out that day. I noted um, about him in Artavis Scott. Artavis Scott worked out that day. Um, 
it's kind of funny to see those two names in the report kind of side by side because one was Erman Lane who had all the hype surrounding him. And then the other was Artavis Scott, who was somewhat undersized. I mean, he was still a four-star recruit, no slight on him, but he went on to Clemson and I believe he held the record for most, most catches in a season. I don't know if that got broken since then, but um, he also won a national championship there. And I just remember comparing those two recruitments and I didn't see the quick twitch out of Ermon Lane, which, which kind of disturbed, you know, was a red flag. And then with Artavis Scott, he was the exact opposite. Everything that he lacked in size, he made up for with quick twitch and just that dog that he had in him. And they offered Artavis Scott, but again, they never really recruited him, but boy, did they love his teammate a year younger, George Campbell. And that was the start. George was there as well. George went everywhere with Tay back then. DeNovo um, was with him, right? DeNovo was also from that school. And DeNovo, then, Pete DeNovo was from that uh, school, yeah. Mason Ma- Cole. Yeah, Mason was and, one of the oh, offensive yeah, linemen went to Michigan. Yep, and Mason came up, and Florida State never had a, a chance with Mason Cole uh, back then, but he did come up for a visit. But, boy, did they love George Campbell. And that kind of started um, the trend that Jimbo showed of valuing size over – over the shiftiness and speed. Um, they really loved George Campbell. They really loved Ermon Lane. Obviously they, I think he, I think this year as well, Kelvin Benjamin uh, came, came to one of these sessions as well. So you could kind of see where Jimbo's attention went. And that was the bigger wide receivers. I think Kelvin uh, was famous for lighting up a seven on. Tournament. Yeah. Over at the old rec fields. Mm-hmm. That's right. Um, yeah. The new I am fields, I think. He was a new IM fan, wasn't it? I feel like his seven on, at least the Maybe one not. where he put on a show, I want to say was a wreck field. Because I, I recall Dossie leaning against a uh, like John Deere cart right near the overhang where to check in. Well, the reason they do them on the wreck fields was because the main camp was on the IM fields. Yeah. Because that's when they were redoing the IPF fields. Mm-hmm. Well, what we now call the IPF fields. Right. The IPF fields. wasn't there. So they were doing the camp during the day. And then you couldn't do the seven on seven because they needed to set it all up. And the, you know, the track was so torn up, they needed another set of fields. So yeah, they were doing the, the, where was the big man camp being held at back then? I believe it was at the rec fields. Yeah. And so they would kind of divide and conquer over there with a portion here and then seven on there instead of it became where uh, big men were over by the IPF and seven on was over at the rec. But he, Kelvin came with Glade Central Mm-hmm. At this point, FSU liked them, but I wouldn't say they were in love with them. They certainly weren't pushing like uh, Florida, I believe Miami were at this point. I want to say Florida was kind of thought of as a perceived leader when he came in. And he just was unbelievable. And they won the, the spear that you would win as a trophy for winning the seven on. And he he caught anything and everything to all parts of the field. You know, he, he was a very long striding guy back then. He was in yeah. fairly good shape at this point in his high school career. You know, he's one of those guys, his weight always fluctuated as a player. But at that, at that point in his career, he was very tall and lean. And he uh, he was unbelievable. I remember Dossie just kind of leaning against the cart during the championship game and watching it. And I, Jimbo came over because he always hands over the spear. And he's watching it with him. And I want to say at least one other offensive coach, maybe Coley, came over because Coley would recruit a lot in the muck area. And uh, uh, he just, he was awesome. And mm-hmm. I think that very much is what 
shot his recruitment with FSU into a different level. And it's crazy to think because, you know, he's got to catch his touchdown national title to win it. So it's kind of like a, a good day on the field won their hearts or I mean, they knew he was a good player. They liked him. They were very happy to get him up there with glades and glades at this point was coached by Jesse Hester, I believe yep. former FSC player. So there was some relationship there, but their recruitment of him changed that day without a shot. Drastically. Dossie fell in love. I, I remember um, they definitely knew, like you said, he was on their radar. They wanted to get him up there. There was a reason he was coming up there, um, but they didn't know where they were going to be with him afterward. And they were all in afterward. And it worked out well because a lot of people don't know. Dossie had the Tampa Bay area. He had a sliver of Alabama because that's his hometown. But he also recruited Pahokee and Belgrade for Florida State. That was his territory. Um, Miami was divvied up between Mark Stoops, James Coley, and Eddie Grand, And then the Pahokee and Belgrade area was Dossie. So this was just like right in his wheelhouse, his territory, his position, and they just latched on. Um, and that was a that was a that was kind of a relatively quiet recruitment, right? Yeah. Uh, Kelvin Benjamin didn't do didn't many talk. updates. He didn't yeah, take if you didn't, visits. If um, you didn't see him in person, it was very difficult to get a hold of him. And he just wasn't saying anything. So there wasn't drama surrounding his recruitment outside of, you know, where is he going to end up? But there wasn't like a bunch of these crazy visits and interviews. And um, it was pretty his, much an inside source people. kind of recruitment that you headed up, Josh. I remember that kind yeah. of was the only way we got anything. Uh, <laughs> was, yeah. And I don't, I don't know. I just don't know if they thought that he could move as well as he could until that camp. Mm-hmm. Well, there were people I remember thinking with him from some people was that he's going to end up a tight end. Yeah. And, you know, he's such a big body. He tends he's to get a little heavy out, at times. Remember his age. Yeah. So oh, it, his age, fun. that's right. The whole study of the receivers group in that time, you know, we've mentioned George, Tay Scott, Armand Lane, Kelvin Benjamin. It's a very interesting study of a lot of guys who were thought of being, Tay was probably the least thought of of those four, even though he's a super twitchy athlete, just the size kind of did him in compared to the other three. Mm-hmm. Very interesting study with those four, just how it turned out. One, hands kind of did them in, as well as health. George Vermont mm-hmm. just never amounted to it. I, you know, maybe topped out. Maybe we were just all horribly wrong. Ermon was always kind of a weird one in evaluations because he, he was a big boy. He had pretty damn good hands in high Played school. Played against the greatest competition in, in yeah. America. And, like, he'd go to seven-ons and he'd perform well. He wasn't one of these guys that disappeared in other settings. and But it just never came about in college. Mm-hmm. Um, an, a big arrival that 2012 camp, probably the biggest one, was five-star linebacker Matthew Thomas. I think at the time he was either – he was a, he was right around the top ten player in America. He was either eight or 12s. I can't remember. But he was right there. Boy, do I remember this one. Um, they worked really hard to get him there. Um, I remember James Coley and Greg Hudson. Uh, Greg Hudson played a big role in this one, as well as James, who always gets kind of the credit for these for that Booker T recruitment back then. Um, but I just remember the buzz of, of like Matthew arriving and um, yelling at Corey to go get photo. Do you remember uh, Matthew Thomas's arrival, Corey? I do, yeah, because I don't think we had many pictures of him except right. for like the state championship games he was always in, <laughs> and we didn't have like a good you know, headshot for his profile, even, I don't think so. Mm-hmm. But yeah, he got the was, treatment, like the treatment oh, that we always time. talk about from the top, you know, he was, yeah. uh, whenever Greg Hudson would do a drill, he'd use, he'd grab Matthew and put him at the front of the line and yeah. do the example with him. 
Um, the other coaches would come over. Like it was a big deal when they got Matthew Thomas on campus that day. Yeah. Matthew Thomas. And you guys already know this, but Matthew Thomas was one of the best high school players of that decade mm-hmm. that I ever oh, saw. I've never seen a player like him. He was, he's freak show. Yeah. He yeah. played middle linebacker, uh, sideline to sideline. If they were, it didn't matter if they were playing a spread team, he'd still be just a missile, just hitting yeah. everybody. Like, well, he was faster than the other team's receivers. Yeah. yeah. If they weren't a spread team and they were trying to, he'd be in the backfield before they could hand the ball off. Like he was, he was just a missile. It the was, fact his college career amounted to so little is mind blowing to me, knowing the high school prospect he was. But that's why everybody gave him those second and third and fourth opportunities to right. prove it, even when his shoulder was bad. You know, like we all thought, like he's just such a freak. Like he can do something on the field. Yeah, he had a cup of coffee in the NFL for the exact same reason. You know, yeah. he was with the Ravens briefly for that exact reason because the potential is there. It just at some point, I think his drive kind of went away, and obviously other things sidetracked. I think he had a lot of distractions. Oh no. No doubt. And he didn't have the easiest path either, but we don't need to dive into that. Yeah. I had this down and I've erased all memories of this. So somebody help me out, but this was like a big deal. Surprise visit Mackenzie Alexander. Was McEnroe with him? Are we going to not include McEnroe in this conversation? (laughs) I think I did the same thing, Josh. Mackenzie Alexander had a brother named McEnroe Alexander. McEnroe Alexander was like a three-star tweener linebacker DB that couldn't necessarily run fast enough to play in the secondary and wasn't big enough to be a linebacker, but he was the brother of (laughs) five-star all everything Mackenzie Alexander. So Florida state took a commitment from McEnroe. Our site kind of took the stance like, yo, this is a two for one deal. McEnroe is not, you know, this is not the prize while the other site tried to spin it as McEnroe was a really good football player. Right. Oh man, <laughs> this is bringing back memories. So McEnroe <laughs> ends up at Auburn at the end of the day and he uh-huh. finished his career, I believe at Iowa state. Yes. Yeah, he did. Yeah. yeah Iowa state. He wasn't a bad football player, but um, Stoops made it clear to me in, in behind the scenes that, you know, this was not a, uh, we're not signing McEnroe without McKenzie. This is, that is not part of the deal. Yep. So McKenzie was a wild recruitment. Like he would pick up the phone and just tell any reporter, anything. Remember like Luke, <laughs> Luke was kind of on McKenzie Alexander duty, right? He was. And, and he would have like a different set of top schools every week and knowing Luke just doesn't care. So he would just report anything that could tell him. Um, but here's what I wrote. Let's see. I know we had him listed as a maybe, but getting Alexander on campus was still a surprise, even for the FSU staff. This was big for FSU's chances in landing Alexander as it was his final chance to get him on campus before school starts. Yeah. I, yeah, I don't remember anything from that recruitment. He, he, he committed to Clemson at the end of the day. That's who he signed mm-hmm. with over Mississippi State. I think he's playing for the Patriots, right? Auburn was there. FSU was there. He he was in the league. I know he's been. I think he's been with like the Bengals, the Vikings. I'm not sure who he's currently with. Um, I mean, his recruitment was wild. He was committed to Florida at one point. I think was he. I mean, he, he kind of toured. Like he did a whole bunch. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. This was coming off of the heels of Sammy Watkins, and Sammy kind of brought a but lot Sammy of did, Sammy did to talk. the area. 
Sammy didn't talk. Sammy kind of, like, but it brought like that spotlight yes. to that area. Yes. Is, yeah, the, is, and, and Mackenzie um, <laughs> took advantage of the spotlight. Let's let's just say the Fort Myers area was tough to get anybody on the phone. Yeah. It seemed like everyone from down there was just really tough to get on the phone. Yeah, I Talk remember about uh, that area. Uh, since we got Corey on here, that was Fort Myers for us back then. It was Mackenzie Alexander, but more importantly, it was all about Mario Pender. Aaron Lynch, <laughs> and was there one more? Hit the tight end down there, but he didn't give uh, Howerman. Yeah, who went yes. to Ohio State? Yes, who went that's to Ohio right. State. Yeah, but Mario Pender showed up to camp. Um, <laughs> Corey, you remember how much the coaching staff loved Mario Pender, right? Oh yes. Well, if they didn't, they would have washed their hands of it long time prior to. Right, because all the red flags were there from the beginning. <laughs> Yeah. And they just, uh, they did everything they could to make sure that, that he was locked in cause they were afraid he was going to end up somewhere else. And yeah, I mean, he was awesome that player. Was I get it. it, Corey. Like I think Florida state, you know what you, you, you just said it. They were, they were more worried about Mario Pender landing at like Florida or Miami. They just did yeah. not want Mario Pender playing for anyone else. Cause they thought he was that special. The old Bear Bryant rule of he might not play for us, but I want him to be on our roster because I don't want to play against him. <laughs> That's it. Yeah. I know Hudson was definitely all over that recruitment. And I remember some, you know, just some casual chit chats with him. And he was just kind of like, I don't know what's going on. Because <laughs> yeah. there would be like some dark times where you wouldn't be able to to speak with him. And, um, but yeah, and coach, eventually. And the coach was in the middle of it. He was like a young yeah. uh, coach. Uh, what was his name, Chris? Joe, Joe something. Joe. Uh, uh, Joe Jackson, uh, right? No, no, I don't think it was Jackson. I think it's in my it's phone. still in my what? phone, actually. <laughs> he was a young, he was a younger coach. He was probably like in his thirties and um, heavily involved. Joe in, like, Bowen? Kids. No. No. That Bowen's he, the current. He was guy. good friends with Jeff Vote. <laughs> oh, man, those were fun times. No, it, I have it in my phone as Joe Bowen Pender. Pender in parentheses. So okay, I think so it was Joe Bowen. Okay. I think he ended up getting fired from there. I could be wrong. but Pen, Pender was a weird deal. First time I met Pender, he came with Aaron, and Aaron was more prized for this visit. I don't remember if it was camp or when it was. I don't remember the exact. But I was sitting on the bench with him outside of the moor and they were waiting for Aaron to come out. Aaron was touring with Hudson and some others. And I'm talking to Mario. And at this point, Mario, I think had not played his junior year. Maybe I don't remember who was alternative school or what, but whatever, he was sort of under wraps to a degree because of some life situations. And we're chit chatting. And he, the thing I always liked about Mario and it held true even during his time at FSU, he was like very straightforward. Like he's not one of these guys who danced around things talking about him. He was very direct and talking about the good, the bad, and the ugly. Mm-hmm. And he's telling me like, oh, yeah, FSU likes me. Alabama likes me. Texas likes me. And at this point, I don't think he had any offers. He was kind of a wait and see for a lot of schools. And then it took off. And the camp was a big reason because I got to see him work out. But Mario was impressive physically as a high school kid. And Aaron was a huge prize in that all of that recruitment and Aaron's recruitment turned out crazy. I, I luckily didn't have to deal with that one that much. Um, I remember Notre Dame, FSU, what Notre Dame, FSU, USF. There were one or two others in that mix. Those all had to deal with them. UF. They had to deal with them a ton. It was just kind of a roller coaster deal. So I was thinking about, uh, I was thinking about JC Jackson from Immokalee. 
Oh man. Oh, I think JC yeah. Jackson's with the Patriots. I think that's what I'm thinking of. Yeah, I think JC's with the Patriots. I'm not sure if McKenzie's still with the Vikings right. yeah, or not, but I that's know that's absolutely JC Jackson was the next in line to yeah, commit to Florida right. State and then play Florida State <laughs> 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 from down there. Yeah, that area. Uh, J. Ron Curse was from that area, right? He's another yep. one that we dealt J. with from down there. J. Ron was a really good athlete. That area has produced some really good ones, but it produces some odd recruitments, too. Very odd recruitments. Um, speaking of odd recruitments, I remember talking to Eddie Grant about these summer camps, and he would always tell me he needed three confirmations for these unofficial visits. The kid, the coach, and a parent before he'd feel good about any kid visiting. Um, they all kind of had their strategies on how to get kids in and they worked really hard to do it. Um, let's take a commercial break right here. And on the other side, we're going to, since we got Corey Dower on, I want to talk to him about some other notable recruitments he was involved with when he was at Knowles 24 seven. So let's take a break right now. Okay. Picture this. It's Friday afternoon. When a thought hits you, I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue and guess what now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the name your price tool from progressive it works just the way it sounds you tell progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget get your quote today at progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust progressive progressive casualty insurance company and affiliates price and coverage match limited by state law all right, and before we continue on with the remainder of this episode of our Camp Memory Series, we want to give a shout-out to the person, the man, the former FSU grad who is making this series possible, Daniel Garland of Evershore Financial Group. My Josh, man. Yeah, let's, uh, let's, let's give an ad read here and give the man his credit. I, I know we like to dabble in the stock market and whatnot with our finances, mm-hmm. but if, if you want someone who – actually knows what they're talking about and not just going in blind like us. Somebody who, yeah, you don't want to trust me. Yeah, or me right now based on my portfolio. Uh, but if you want to trust someone who, who knows what they're doing, uh, that would be Daniel. So let's, uh, Josh, give props to Daniel here. Right now, we're experiencing some of the most difficult economic circumstances of all time. In times like these, it's important to have a financial plan for your finances. Dan Garland and Greg Abdallah are financial professionals and are diehard Seminoles. As professionals with specialties in current financial position analysis, investments, retirement planning, risk management, and life insurance, you can get a comprehensive financial plan to help guide you to your long-term goals. Dan and Greg are FINRA-registered financial professionals with Evershore Financial Group. With four offices in Florida and clients all over the country, you know you can get individualized help with someone who cares. Call Dan today at 321-304-4026 for a no-obligation consultation. 
Separate from the financial plan and our role as a financial planner, we may recommend the purchase of specific investment or insurance products or accounts. These product recommendations are not part of the financial plan and you are no, under no obligation to follow them. Dan Garland and Greg Abdallah are registered representatives and investment advisor representatives of Securian Financial Services, Inc. Securities and investment advisory services offered through Securian Financial Services, Inc. Member FINRA SIPC. Evershore Financial Group is independently owned and operated. 750 North Maitland Avenue, Maitland, Florida, 32751. And we're back on the Knowles 24-7 On the Bench podcast. I have Chris Nee and Corey Dower with me. Um, we got a couple minutes left. Corey, since we got you on here, um, Jameis Winston didn't camp at Florida State. He never attended a summer camp. But, you know, we got you on here. You were basically the uh, the Jameis Winston liaison when it came to that recruitment. We all kind of headed up a recruitment or two. Um that we solely had, but you were on Jameis Winston duty that year. Yeah. And that was fun. Um, <laughs> so yeah, I think, I think, um, as Chris pointed out prior to, but I think he took his official visit to January in January, um, of his junior he, year. Well, let's rewind it even further. So he commits okay. to Florida state in August, right before his senior season. That was what Jameis Winston wanted yep. to do. He had been on campus once for an unofficial visit. Um, but he had a pretty quiet recruitment, right? Big time, yeah. So, so James didn't talk. He, he, I got one interview with him about two years. That I covered him, <laughs> so right. he, he, he didn't speak to the media. He just, he, that was his approach to the recruitment. So, um, his father actually headed up everything. So, if you wanted something on the record, you had to speak to to James's James's father. And so, yeah, it was. He just kind of mainly use around. that though. You would mainly use his father just to confirm things, but you were yeah. always in touch with him because there was also things that you had to like rebut, like uh, visit rumors or time, just yeah. all kinds of stuff. So you were in constant contact with his father, not necessarily quoting his dad. I remember you did a couple times, like literally two or three times, but it was always like a, a confirmation of sorts. Right. So there are a few folks in the media that constantly brought these stories that didn't have quotes in them or I don't know who their source was saying that Jameis is playing for a state. He's going to go to Alabama. He's going to go to LSU. He's his grandma has a connection to Alabama, you know, all this different stuff. And, um, it was, it was like a weekly thing. We mm -hmm. had to, I, I would text his dad and like, is this true? And he'd say no. So I would either, put his no on the message board or, or just say, you know, look, this isn't, there's nothing to it. So, um, the good and bad of him not talking was, was, you know, there wasn't, um, you, you just kind of had to read the tea leaves. You had to, to confirm through the, through the dad, you had to, well, it was advantageous uh, for us because we had good time, sources yeah. on all sides of it. So it actually worked out really good for us that he didn't do a lot of talking um, we, we didn't lack inside Intel. We didn't lack, you know, sourced reports. We just lack quoted yep. stories, which everybody, nobody had. It, it, still, it still felt like you were banging your head against a wall a lot though, right? Yeah. Oh, big time. <laughs> it was so frustrating. And, and I, I had a unique angle to it. Um, it was about that time that I had on Knowles 24 seven, I had introduced baseball recruiting to the site 
And so um, I, I started covering that and I worked very closely with the baseball staff. And, and as you know, he was a two sport player at Florida state. And so, you know, I had a really good relationship with the baseball staff and, and we mm-hmm. would trade stories all the time. And did you hear this or, or is this anything to this? And they would say, no, or that was a, just a awesome angle to work during that. But um, yeah, there was a lot of, because, you know, the baseball coaches had different times that they could go up there and visit with and then the football windows and, and things like that. So, um, you know, I remember Mike Martin Jr. used to be um, traveling whenever he had opportunities to visit Jameis and all this other stuff. And we would talk to him not only about his football um, information, but also um, his life as as a pitcher. So, um, yeah, we worked every single angle that we could, man. And it was we had to, but it worked out in the end because nobody else was doing it. So um, we kind of we felt really good about the how solid our information was, how credible our mm-hmm. information was. I I found a old January 1st, 2012 is the date on the article under armor day one interview with James that I did over at the old site. And uh, it's funny looking back at it. I'm confident in my decision right now. When I go back down there to FSU, hopefully I'll get the same feeling at this point. He had already officially visited Alabama and LSU. He intended to take all five. He told me that day, Stanford's locked in for next week, January 13th, Ohio State probably, or Auburn. And you know I'm going to Florida State for an official. The FSU official was what, like January 24th, I think? Mm-hmm. I think it was, I think it was, it was the last one weekend, weekend left. Um, yeah. That was a Nerf war, if I remember correctly. Him and his little brother playing the Nerf war with the coaching staff on his official to FSU. Because um, his little brother at that point, how old was his little brother? Like four, five? Mm-hmm. I mean, he was young. young. I thought like young. six or seven, but yeah, somewhere in that age. But uh, it's just funny looking back on I know he eliminated Auburn between this interview and I think around the time he went to Stanford maybe. And I don't know whatever happened to Ohio State with him and his recruitment. I don't remember that. I don't think he ever visited there. No, I don't think so either. But I don't remember if he eliminated them or just they took somebody else. I can't remember how Mm -hmm. that played out. But it's just funny looking back because I I did remember talking to him at Under Armour because, you know, he was arguably the most important guy at Under Armour. And when I went to Under Armour back then, it was deal with my Florida kids, state of Florida prospects. And then if they're a big timer, you know, one of us from the network have to go get them. And I remember because Jameis' ties to FSU is my former ties to the market. I decided to take Jameis. So I kind of I stalked him the whole time at Under Armour from both a video photo and an interview perspective. So did you join 24 seven sports af- after that signing day? I joined it in August. I think it was August of 2012. Yeah. Okay. I think, so, I think August so like first, six months. I want to say August 1st, 2012 was my first day officially there. Cause essentially my quitting point at the prior network was the opening. You remember we were at the opening together mm-hmm. talked to uh, JC, Steve got on the horn with a uh, boss man, Shannon, and that's basically when I decided to move on. I, I enjoyed the state of Florida. I've talked about this before. You I didn't decide to move on. We made the move to get you. Like we went into the opening and I was like, we're getting Chris Snee. You guys did gang up on me. And yes. I was like, I, Steve, I need you to help. I remember that. Jerry, I need you to help. JC, I need you to help. And JC's like, well, I'll get him on the phone with Shannon. Will that help? I was like, yeah, that'll help. And I, I knew most of you guys pretty well. Heck, sure. Steve, Steve Wilfong's one of the guys I knew the least at that point. That's really the beginning of my friendship relationship, working relationship yeah. with Steve. I was going to kill Steve at what like I tell Steve Wilfong like hey man we need help getting knee over and Steve you know Steve he's good I got this boy 
I got this. Okay, I got this, buddy And I look over at one point, I'm like a hundred yards away from Chris, and I look over, and Steve is like applying sunscreen to yeah. Chris's arm, and I'm like, oh no, oh no, this yeah. is not no. He, he wasn't putting the sunscreen on me. He was putting the sunscreen on himself. I'm trying to remember. We were talking to a player's parent while we were sitting there. It might have been David Robinson. Was that would that be the right year for the the yeah, older David Robinson kid to be at the opening receiver going to Notre Dame? Yeah, that's just funny. No memories. All right. One more memory before we get out of here. How can we forget July of 2012? I forgot. I was just on my YouTube page looking. But July of 2012 was Dalvin Cook's first visit to Florida State. And I remember this one specifically. Um, I shot Dalvin Cook was a sophomore. And I shot video of him solely. So that meant I knew that this was, you know, a guy that they wanted. Um, Eddie. I had known he arrives that Wednesday night in tow with Telly Lockett, who was the head coach at Miami Central at the time, and Joseph Yearby. Um, that Dalvin Cook, he, he worked out. It was a muggy night. Do you guys remember the setting of him arriving? I, I remember them both showing up because I remember Coley beelining to Yearby. Cause he loved Yearby. Mm-hmm. Um, that's no secret. And, you know, Yearby followed him to, you know, out of here or yeah. Um, I, I don't remember the heat. I do remember the workout and just a group of backs. Again, Eddie could get backs in like his running back group was always a pleasure to watch because you were watching a handful of guys that were FSU tier. And then another handful of guys that were top tier D one players. And then another handful of guys that were going to play D one ball. So you had like, 12, 15 running backs who were high level in a group of only about 20, 25 kids. So I always remember that. But yeah, that year they had in the running back line, they had Dalvin Cook and Joseph Yearby, Sony Michelle, Alex Collins, and also Ryan Green. Uh, Ryan Green was at this camp. I have video of him going through drills. I should put all these videos together from these camps, um, maybe put it out with the podcast. But Ryan Green was a stud running back from St. Pete Catholic High School. Um, Florida state had dabbled around St. Pete Catholic high school just a couple years prior to land Chris Davis. Um, Chris Davis was the quarterback. He was Mr. Florida that year. He was all everything. And of course came to Florida state and tore his ACL and was kind of never the same. <clears throat> Ryan Green's career was kind of similar, except he had a shoulder issue that, that just never, you know, he arrived there in, and had shoulder surgery and, and, just got buried on the depth chart. We never heard of it, but Ryan green was an impressive athlete when he worked out. And there was always D one talent in grand's line. Always. Yeah, always. You always remembered it. It, it was like Chris said, it was all, it was, you know, you had your, your regional schools like your USFs um, of the world or UCFs. And at the time before they were even um, in the tier that they are now, and there would be those kind of kids in there. And then there would be the Yearbies and the Sonys and the, in the uh, Dalman. So yeah, it was, it was wild. Remember the old arguments of Yearby or cook, which is better. Oh yeah. Those were the days. Oh, those were the days. I, I, yeah, I think, I think just, cook one, just putting that out. There. <laughs> was he committed to Florida at that camp? No, he was committed to Clemson at that camp. So yeah, I was, commitment I, was, one, wasn't it? I was down at Miami central in may. Um, I went down there to go watch a spring practice and I happened to be there the same day. Eddie grand was there. So, he Happened loved Yearby there. <laughs> he Happened loved Yearby, and he was already committed to FSU at the time. But 
I, I spoke to Grand for a little bit. I just remember asking him, like, I was kind of afraid to ask him, like, oh, because Year B was committed. So I didn't want it to seem like, are you going to drop Year B? So I was just, I asked him, though, is Cook, you know, you're going you're gonna to recruit Cook even though he's committed to Clemson? And Eddie just gave me that look and that smile, and he said, that's the prize, and, like, walked away. Um, so from then on, I always knew that, you know, okay, Yearby's Yearby's a good player, but Dalvin's the one they want. And of course, Eddie Graham would kind of lay the groundwork for Tim Brewster to clean it up and and land Dalvin a couple years later. That is such an Eddie Graham move, too, by the way. <laughs> I'm just gonna take both these running backs from Miami Central that everybody says are great, and then we'll decide which one we want. Canes get elite running back when Joseph Yerby decommits from Florida State. Mm. This was a 2013 headline. You got I was going to say you got to spin it somehow, Chris. Yeah. <laughs> oh, Yerby. All right. Yerby's Yer- well, an interesting study. A lot of guys, it's amazing the amount of guys we covered that we talked about that did turn out to be elite and you know are now NFL elite or NFL high level players. But there's also a lot of guys we covered that were thought of as elite. Yeah. Who we thought were elite like we're in there. We're, we're not dismissing them who just fizzled out. You know, Matt Thomas, Joseph Yerby. Those are two very good examples. Yeah. Uh, I mean, we got more, we got way more coming up too. Cause this was kind of the peak. What we just got through, I would call the golden age of Jimbo Fisher camps. Yeah. But 13, the camps in 13 and the camps in 14 were good because they were living off the national championship. Correct. Yeah, that's true it was still an attractive thing for guys to come in and at least swing by FSU. It kind of became where we went from having as many kids work out like we did during these years we just spoke about. Mm-hmm. Then it was more just getting them through the door and having them stop by, not necessarily working out. A lot of kids came through, not all of them worked out. And I, I think there was something to the guys that we knew were studs or that they found were studs and the working out portion that helped create what 2013 became with talent on the roster. Yeah. So we got one more episode coming up that will break down kind of the, I don't want to call it the downfall of the Jimbo Fisher camps, but the the back end of the Jimbo Fisher camps. And then we're going to probably do one more special episode, maybe bring in Bud Elliott or somebody else from our national team. But we want to do like a quarterback focused episode where we talk about kind of those epic summer camps talking about Malik Henry and Jacob Eason and uh, DeAndre Francois and all that. So there's more to come. Oh, oh, oh. quarterback, remind me. DeAndre Johnson. Yes. Can't forget about this. How did me and Corey almost forget this? DeAndre Johnson. This is 2012. I'm trying to remember. Hey, God, not only is Chris getting ahead in a, in a, moment right now for this episode he's getting like two episodes ahead of what we're actually no, talking about no because it's his still co- relevant his commitment class is later but when he first ever came to he's got the he fingers pointed that. out he's got the finger guns and everything right now it's well, yeah, whatever deandre johnson went to the state championship as a is a is a freshman in high school yeah it's whatever hard. year the uh camp was out on the im fields yep so i can't remember exactly what year that is but DeAndre he was in eighth grade eighth, eighth grade going into ninth he shows up, his father shows up and has essentially a laminated like fact sheet mm. about DeAndre. And DeAndre was damn good. Like he was known in Jacksonville as a kid who was gonna be good. 
I first remember coast. That he was going to land at first coast. First coast is going to be the thing. But it's one of those things where when you're getting, it's kind of like the Sonny Michelle story. When you're being told about a seventh or eighth grader, you just got eh, like, I'll worry about him in a couple of years. DeAndre was that. We get the fact sheet. I just remember being like, come on, what are we doing here? But then you watch him throw and you knew he was a pretty good man. I can, yeah. I watched him a ton in high school. The fact sheet was eliminated by social media, and so was the highlight tapes. That Do you remember how many CDs oh, you would DVDs, throw in the yeah. back of your car after attending an event? Hell, CDs, that sheet. We could get your cousin on here, and he'd talk about VHS. VHS ones. And how many so many had. parents would bring us highlight CDs, and it's like we have the highlight on the already on their by. You know, it was <laughs> desperation, but... You know. A great side story that Josh can do when we do like a 10 minute breakout one day of one of these is this ESS camp in Tampa. Oh. Yeah, that deserves its own. Uh, Dante, Nelson, Vernon. There were a ton there. James Wilder, Tariq McCord. Yeah. Yeah. That the, I put on two elite scouting service camps in 09 and 10, only because I was going to those Under Armour camps and thought that I could do better. And I did. And then I was just like overdoing <laughs> the camp. So I never did them again. But those were two good camps. Ten All was right. a loaded one, right? Uh, yeah. 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 Corey, thank you for coming on. Thank you for attempting to relive and remember some of the stuff that we went through like 10 years ago. Uh, I hope you enjoyed it. Yeah, that was awesome. Thanks, guys. I appreciate the, the walk down memory lane there for a bit. All right. Brendan, you can have your podcast back. now relive the best moments of the UEFA Champions League 24-7. The UEFA Champions League channel is a new 24-hour streaming channel serving non-stop goals, highlights, and full match replays from the world's most prestigious club competition. Reminisce on your favorite moments, legendary players, and brilliant goals with the UEFA Champions League channel streaming around the clock on Pluto TV and the CBS Sports app.